0: been talking about honor. Uh, the text we're using all year is seize life, right? And I've t- been trying to tell you you can't fully take advantage of your own life unless you have God's help. But good news is you can move the high priest in the heavens according to Hebrews and we can Jesus, we can touch him. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And that we should therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this year I've been teaching about how certain things, certain extraordinary things, will move God to act extraordinarily. Now acting ordinarily on our part will only produce an ordinary response from God. For example, Hannah, as I've said, prayed an extraordinary prayer. You know the result of that? God healed her barrenness, and she gave birth to Samuel. Abraham offered an extraordinary sacrifice when he gave his son. Boy, it's not something many of us would be willing to do. But because of that, the promises of God were fulfilled in his life, and Abraham started a nation from which came the Messiah. And from that boy that he offered to God came 12 sons that produced 12 tribes, It's an amazing story, people who've moved God in impossible situations. And we've been calling these incredible keys to incredible breakthroughs. The last couple of Sundays I've talked to you about one of those keys is honor, that God has positioned certain things in our lives, people, institutions, like the church, for example, given us certain things, His Word, and so forth, certain vital relationships, ministry gifts. And they have been given to us for the express purpose of making a deposit in our lives that will help us fulfill our destiny. However, the size of the deposit they make is directly determined by how much honor we give to that thing. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. He said, if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. Now, what is a prophet? That is one of the most dynamic, explosive, and powerful ministries in all the Bible. Picture Elijah calling fire down from heaven, okay? That's the ministry of a prophet. If you receive him as a prophet, you receive an award equivalent to that impact the ministry of a prophet makes. However, if you receive that same prophet as only a righteous man... You only receive a righteous man's reward. What makes a difference in the size of the reward you receive is how you receive that person, the honor you show them. Now I want you to read this, Psalms 138 and verse 2. Because I'm talking about honoring the Word of God. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Wow! God has magnified his word above his name? In the name of Jesus, you'll cast out devils? the name of Jesus, you'll pray for the sick and they'll recover? In the name of Jesus, you'll go and baptize people and they'll be converted? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. The name of Jesus is powerful. But what does God's word say? He's magnified his word even above his name. Whoa. Father, I pray today that you will speak to us right now. And help us to place your word in a position of honor in our lives that we might receive the benefit that your word is intended to give to us. We ask for your glory, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. And according to the teachings of your word, we ask for this. And everybody said, "Amen." amen. Last couple of weeks, as I said, I've been talking about honor. Now, I don't think that I really need to tell you that the Word of God is not highly honored around the world, around America especially much anymore. Have you seen what happened this week in our city? That our mayor has subpoenaed the sermons of pastors? You haven't heard that? Some of you have. That's right. As you know, she forced through a bathroom amendment. And that bathroom amendment says men can go into a woman's restroom into their locker room into their shower room if they feel that they though they're a man they're actually a woman in a man's body that's the amendment not making that up they can find businesses if they don't allow it to happen churches and because the christian community rose up against it she passed it through the the city council even though 82% of this city was Actively opposed to it. She completely ignored what the city was wanting her to do. Went ahead and passed it. Now this, I'm just giving you a, a history recital right now. And the church community rose up. And the way the law is written. If we got 17,000. Or oh, however many. Signatures on, a, on on a petition. We could force it to be on the ballot in November. So. In a matter of a few days, there were over 50,000, 55,000 signatures. So even the city clerk, after 21,000, said that's more than enough and qualified. Well, they tried to throw all those out. The city attorney, who doesn't even have the legal authority to do it, tried to throw them all out. And then a district judge said, you're wrong. You can't throw them out. And then what happened was they got mad. And they said, all these pastors that were telling their churches to sign these petitions, we're going to start trolling for their sermons. And they've subpoenaed the sermons of five pastors in the city. And that's only the beginning. What they intend to do is take, troll through the sermon if they made any comment, even your SMSs, text messages, emails, any comment made about the mayor or in reference to This bathroom amendment, like we don't want our men going in there where our daughters and granddaughters are at. I mean, does anybody really think that's okay? You want somebody going in there where your daughter's showering? There's nobody in their right mind that that thinks that's okay. But if any statement made about it, what they intend to do is take those pieces out of the sermon and hold that person up for ridicule and scorn and make them appear to be a bigot. That's their intention. And trust me, I don't care how skillful you are in your use of the language and how diplomatic or tactful you are, there's not a one of us that doesn't say things that taken out of context can make all of us look stupid. Amen? Amen. And so what is happening now is that's where it's at. She said, oh, we didn't realize that they were asking. That was a attorneys working pro bono for us. First of all, that's not even true that she said that because the next day she then tweeted and said, if they preached it, it's fair game. So that's where we are right now. Now, how did it reach this point? How did it ever come to the place in the United States of America? This is a violation of the First Amendment. I mean, I, I would expect that in Russia, really. I would expect it in some other place, maybe Red China. But this is America, for heaven's sakes. I thought we had a constitution in this nation. I thought it was founded upon the principles of the constitution. You see, this wasn't just about the bathroom ordinance. What she's trying to do is see to it that this doesn't ever get on the ballot. So if she can humiliate all the pastors into being quiet, it will not make it to the ballot. And this is actually an attack against our voting right as U.S. citizens. Now, frankly, as Americans, we've come too far to give up our voting rights. Starting with the founding fathers who left Europe to come to America to start a democracy so they could have some say right on through the women's suffrages uh, movement and then into the rights of of American black people and other uh, ethnicities to vote. Is there one of us that's getting ready to lay that vote down willingly right now? Uh Uh-uh, there's been too much pain and suffering and too big a price paid to give us the vote to let somebody take it away from us. That's acting against the Constitution. So the question is, how did it reach this point? I'll tell you what happened. People have stopped valuing the Word of God. And it's happened in Christian churches. The average Christian church doesn't want to preach the whole counsel of God anymore. And the average believer is offended if you preach the whole Word of God anymore. And you got churches that are not about to stand up. I've already told you, some of them have said, don't mention the cross, don't use the word repentance, don't use the word sin, don't use the word devil, don't use the word hell. Right here in our city, there are churches that have sent out inner office memos to their staff and said, when you teach, do not use those words. How in the name of God are you going to have a church and not mention that this is about heaven or hell? Amen. And so what's happened is, is that people are not honoring the Word of God. They don't take it seriously. These days, men believe the Bible, Christians believe the Bible is something you pick and choose from. Smorgasbord. I'll take a little bit of the fried chicken and some of the green beans. Uh, not interested in roast beef today. No mashed potatoes. You know, that's how people feel when they go to, to the Bible and what they do is they dishonor the Word of God. Now, here's my point. When you're not honoring the Word of God, you're limiting what the Word of God can do in your life. Amen. They're not taking the Word seriously. Got a joke for you. Kind of like Boudreaux's boss didn't take him seriously. Everybody kept telling the boss man, man, At Boudreaux, he knows everybody. Man, he knows every, Boudreaux knows everybody. There's nobody Boudreaux don't know. He got tired of his people telling him that. And he said one day, okay, Boudreaux, prove to me that you know everybody in the world. Do you know Tom Cruise? And Boudreaux said, oh, me and Tom go way back, (laughs) Sha. So the boss bought airline tickets to Hollywood and pretty soon he and Boudreaux we're standing in front of Tom Cruise's house and knocking on Tom Cruise's door. The moment the butler opened the door, he grinned and said, Welcome, Mr. Boudreaux. Let me go tell Mr. Cruise you're here. He'll be delighted to see you. And Tom Cruise came out with his arms wide open and hugged Boudreaux and said, you got to stay and have lunch with me. And the boss said, I'm impressed. But he said, Do you know President Obama? And Boudreaux said, oh, sure, I do, you know. I know know the president. And with that, they were off to Washington the next day. And when they went up to the White House, the guard stepped aside and said, Mr. Boudreaux, please come right on in. And they went directly to the White House Oval Office, and the president, when he looked up, saw Boudreaux and said, Boudreaux, man, how you been? Come here and give a brother a hug, you know, and they had lunch with the president, and they went on their way. And the boss said, "I'm impressed, Boudreaux, but you hadn't convinced me, you know, everybody yet. Do you know the ultimate celebrity, the Pope?" And Boudreaux said, "Well, well, boss, it's, I, I hate to tell you, but yeah, we, we go way back too." And for sure, I do. And the boss said, "I don't believe it." He bought plane tickets. They flew to Rome, went to Vatican City, came to St. Peter's Square. And as they were standing outside, thousands of people were there. And Boudreaux looked at his boss and said, "I can't see nothing from here." And he walked straight up to where the Swiss guards were, and they said, "Hello, Mister Boudreaux. Would you just please come right on in?" And in a couple, and the boss is standing there, flabbergasted. And in a few minutes, the balcony door opens and out walks two guys. One's the Pope and the other's Boudreaux. And they have their arms around each other and they're just waving at the crowd. And Boudreaux said, well, Pope, I gotta go. And so he he turned around and went down. When he got down, they were loading his boss in an ambulance. And he walked over and said, boss, what's the matter? And the boss said, he said, I handled everything fine. Until when you stepped out on the balcony with the Pope, the guy next to me said, who's that funny-looking guy in that hat standing next to Boudreaux? (laughs) (laughs) Don't disrespect Boudreaux now. He knows some stuff. And don't you disrespect the word either, because it knows some things. It has truth. Psalms 119, 126 through 128, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. The psalmist says that I hate every false system. All these these recipes for living life, principles for living life that are based on things that are false. Only your word is true, Lord. And he said, I honor and I esteem your word so highly that I value it as being of greater value to me than gold. And when he says that they have made your word void, I don't know if the they is politicians or if it's the religious crowd or if it's the everyday folk or who it may have, It could be any number of people. But he's saying as a result of them making your word void, it is now time for you to act. And the word void here means something significant. It means to cast off, to disannul, to disregard, or to make of none effect. What the psalmist is saying is because they're casting off your word, disregarding your word, they're not esteeming it or honoring your word, it's time for you to act. Now think with me through this. Of course what he means by acting is it could be one or both of two things. One, God could act in this manner. God could say, because you chose a path that is not my plan and you have not obeyed my principles, You'll go down this road. I'm getting out of the way. I've been trying to stop you, but I'm stepping back. Go ahead. Have your own way. See if you like what happens at the end of it. Because people have this wrong idea of God. They think God is trying to force people to do right, and that's not it. If he wanted to force you to do right, you'd never be able to do anything but right. But it's whosoever will let him come. God gives you the choice, choose you this day whom you will serve. He doesn't force you to to do the right thing. But if you disregard his ways, his laws, what he does is steps back and he says, I can see the end of this road because I don't live in time. I live in eternity. I already know where you're going, what's going to happen when you get there. But since you won't listen to me, I'm acting, I'm stepping out of the way, go ahead. Second way he can act is for those who do regard his word, he can cause to be fulfilled in their lives the promises that his word contains. If there's anybody that ought to know what they're talking about, it's the writer of this Psalms because most scholars believe it was Ezra. I've spent all this time recently teaching on the leadership principles of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and Ezra were contemporaries with Esther, with Daniel, and these others, three Hebrew children. And they saw what happened when God's people disannulled, disregarded, voided, when they disrespected and did not honor God's word. Babylon came down with its armies ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the city, killed most of them, carried those names I just mentioned. They were then little children off to Babylon. And so they saw what happens when you disregard God's word. That's not all Ezra saw. He saw what happened because he and Nehemiah and Esther and Daniel and the three Hebrew children and others continued to embrace God's word just as God said, his promise was, I will restore you and I will send you back to that land that I gave you and I will build you again and you will be my people. And Ezra saw God send the people back. He was among them. Watch the wall be built. Watch Zerubbabel build the temple and watch Israel be restored as a great nation. Now the reason that I mention this is because we once again live in a time when, as I mentioned earlier, with this bathroom amendment thing, that we're seeing the Word of God disregarded and dishonored. Amen. Nowadays, you, know, oh, people, you would have thought all of America would have stood up and said, wait a minute, that's exactly why America was founded to get away from this kind of stuff. Amen. But you know why nobody's saying anything? I don't want to be caricatured as being a bigot Uh, We don't hate people. We love people. And we're going to love everybody. Amen. Amen. And we're going to believe that everybody ought to be treated equally and fairly. But that also includes us. Can I hear somebody say amen? amen? You have to treat Christians right. We're the majority in this nation. And whether you like it or not, that's just the way that it is. And I'm talking about whether they like it or not. And so God said, I, this is what the word says. He said, and the psalmist, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. Why would God magnify his word above his name? His name is where the power is at, his name is where the authority is at. Amen. When the president stamps something or puts his signature, his name on it, there's power. When you put your name on a check you've written, there's authority. I can't write that and sign my name on it and expect the bank to honor it. Our name has authority. But what does God honor above the power and authority of his name? He honors his word. Amen. Why? Because as powerful as your name is, remember this, if you don't keep your word, your name will be discredited. Hallelujah. This is what God said concerning his word. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. His name is lifted up, but concerning his word, so shall the word be, Luke Isaiah 55 rather, that goeth out forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. That's Isaiah 55 and 11. But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What did God say? I keep my word. That's why my name has power. What's going on is that people including Christians, don't believe God keeps His word anymore. We don't think God keeps His promises. You say, I do. Oh, we'll see in a moment. Psalms 33 and 4, for the word of the Lord is right. You hear that? Right. And all His work is done in truth. What does that mean? His work is done in accordance. What is truth? It's His word. His work is done in accordance with his word. If he said it, that's what you can expect the outcome to be. Well, let's take a look at it. Because I shared with you a couple of weeks ago the statistics, only 5% of Christians now tithe. Since the recession, 24% of Christians have stopped giving anything. The other... What's that, 30% give three, or you, we're, we're two years ago giving 3.11%. Last year, when the statistics came in, which is the latest statistic we have, the average Christian gives 2.4% to church or to God. Now, do we really believe that God keeps his word? Because his word said, if you And first of all, let me address a couple of things. You want to hear some craziness? Go to YouTube. Type in tithing. People out there tell you all kind of crazy, not New Testament, it's not even biblical, only for formers. Well, first of all, I I want to say that's not at all true. I can find three places in the New Testament just off the top of my head where there's tithing. Jesus spoke about it, Paul talked about it, and the writer of Hebrews talked about it. So that's not even true. And you can't say it's under the law because it was, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden itself. When God told Adam, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. What God has always wanted to do is be your source. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The problem, people don't believe God keeps his word anymore. And so I look at this story, Mark 12, 42 through 44. A little widow lady touched the high priest and caused him to act in an extraordinary way in her life by giving an extraordinary offering. Look at this. One poor widow came and threw in two mites which make a quadrants. So Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Point number one, Jesus watched what people gave. Some folk, that upsets them a whole lot. And you will notice the one that it upsets is the one that isn't giving. I'm your friend. I'm just talking to you right now. Amen. People watch what, or Jesus watched what people gave. Okay? It's amazing. You heard about the little boy who listened to his dad complain at Sunday lunch about the church service they had just been in that morning? Service is too long. Sermon's too long. Preacher's too loud. Music's too loud. It was too hot in the building one moment. Too cold another. People were not friendly. And finally the little boy looked at his dad and said, Gee, Dad, I thought it was a pretty good show for the dollar you gave. I'm your friend. I love you. I'm here to help you. This lady did not have as much monetarily as others did. That's a second point. She gave her all. Many people completely misunderstand this story and think, and a lot of pastors abuse it, a lot of ministers do, and try to tell their congregation to give everything they've got. That's not even what Jesus was talking about not trying to use this story to make you give everything you have. He's trying to show you a principle. So the first thing is Jesus watched. The second thing is Jesus said, comparatively speaking, she gave more than the others. Why? Watch it. The others gave faithfully. She gave faith-filled offerings. They were faithful. She was faith-filled. What do I mean? I'm gonna show you the difference. The others gave because they were complying with the teaching of God's word. But if you think she was giving as an act of charity, you're wrong, not charity here. If you think she was giving as an act of helplessness, you're equally wrong. You may say, oh, she gave all she had because it wasn't enough to do anything with. No, that's not what it was. The point Jesus is making is not immediately clear because we no longer believe his word. Let me explain what I mean. His word teaches that if you give, you will be blessed coming in and going out. I'm preaching better than you're responding. That if you give, he will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. And he will also curse the devourer for your sakes. One of my sons in this church told me just this a few minutes ago. He said, the latter is of greater significance, he thinks, to him than the first. Because when the devourer is cursed, you get peace of mind. You get to sleep at night. You don't have a lot of rough stuff going on. And he said, trust me, I've been where I could not sleep at night. I relate to that right now. Amen. Can I hear somebody say, praise the Lord? Lord. Well, Our problem is we don't trust God to keep his word. You say, well, all Jesus had to do, now here's the key point of this whole message, is why didn't he tell us how the story ended with her? She gave her all if he had just said how it ended. She left and she got a Cadillac and a new house and won the lottery We would all say, Here we are, Lord. There's a reason he did not include that in the story. It's because he wants you to do what she did. She gave with a faith filled expectation. Why? Oh, let's just take a look at Luke 6 and 38. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You see, that was in one of the sermons he preached. What you and I don't know, but she may have been out there listening to that very sermon that day. And she got down to her last two mites and not out of desperation and hopelessness, is not going to help them. I might as well give it to the Lord, you know, it's not going to help me any. Not as an act of charity, she gave as an act of faith, feel, trust in God. And the result of that is she received exactly what Jesus said she would receive, which she was blessed, pressed down, heaped up, running over. You say, did it really happen? Let me just be real direct with you. Was she blessed? To suggest anything other than that is to accuse your God of perjury and to indict the Almighty for prevarication. It is an affront to God's honor and a challenge to His integrity to even suggest the story turned out differently after He's already promised that if you gave, He would open the windows of heaven and this is how you would be blessed. Amen. The reason this passage of Scripture is so meaningful to us and the reason he did not tell how it ended with her is he already said what would happen. She took him at his word. He's looking at us and saying, why don't you? Oh, somebody in the building needs to say amen. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, but this I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Don't say, oh, all right, here it is. And not out of necessity. That can mean one of two things, your necessity or the church's necessity. Don't give because, oh, i I, I got to have a blessing, God. I'm, oh, Lord, this is all i got. And I, it's not helping me. Please, please. Don't give out a necessity, and don't give because the church has a need. Give because you have faith that God said it would be returned to you with abundance. Amen. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, oh my God, listen to this. Somebody say, always Always. having all sufficiency. Say it all sufficiency sufficiency. in all things may have an abundance for every good work. What? Abundance. Anybody want abundance? You want to have sufficiency in all things? Some people say, well, I didn't really get so blessed when I I tied. You don't know how blessed you might be, honey. Maybe the devil had a big C put on a certain date on your calendar, and because you gave, God cursed the devourer, and you don't have cancer. You hear what I'm talking about? I mean, I know what I'm saying. Just yesterday I received a phone call from my sister, and I was in meetings, and I was so glad. The last couple of months have been a very difficult time for her. She's been diagnosed with with diminished kidney capacity that looked like it was leading to kidney failure. Now let me tell you about her. She's actually the assistant to the chief of police in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and has been for many, many years, over 30 years. Highly regarded in the city, but they changed their insurance policy, and you know what? Everybody had to take a physical, and they found a list of things with her, including heart problems, kidney problems that could possibly lead to kidney failure, and a growth on her thyroid that they said doesn't look good and could be malignant. Whole number of things. We've been praying together for the last couple of months. I'm telling you, there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. There he is. But the reason there's power in the name of Jesus is he honors his word above his name. And his word said, by these stripes ye are healed. Hello, somebody. So we prayed in the name That he has because he keeps his word. She called me yesterday. One after another. They've been checking off the list. They sent her over to Houston. Kidney specialist. Cardiologist. And yesterday afternoon in the mail. She got the biopsy report. On the growth on her thyroid. Completely benign. Amen. She went from looking like she might only have a short while to live to absolutely having a good bill of health, amen. He honors his word above his name. And I don't mean to bore you by repeating my testimony, but you know a little bit about what I've gone through. Some of you may be new, but if you've heard it before, just give me a little, enough grace to just say it again. Eight times I've been rear-ended in this city. Told I'd be paralyzed if I sneeze wrong. eight back surgeries, multiple fusions, all kind of metal in my body, knee messed up, had to be replaced and everything else cancer and heart disease, uh, not disease, but a, a genetic anomaly. I didn't even know I had 24 surgeries. I don't know how many of you had 24 surgeries? And two of my doctors told me 14 years ago I would be medically retired within the next two years. One of them is a teaching professor at Baylor Medical School right here in Houston. The other was on the cover of Texas Monthly Magazine as one of Texas's super doctors. They both said, two years, that's all we give you. You're strong, but you're going to have to give in to the inevitable. You will be retired in two years. That was 14 years ago. He honors his word above his name. God keeps his word, is what a. Don't you feel the Holy Spirit in this room right now? It's not just opening heaven, he curses the devourer. Somebody said, Well, I gave and I didn't get a new Cadillac. Well, Maybe you didn't get a... You want me to name it? Maybe you didn't get heart disease. Maybe you didn't get cancer. Maybe you didn't have a stroke. Maybe it wasn't your daughter that was abducted and found dead because God cursed the devourer and said, don't you touch his family. Hello, somebody. He honors his word above his name. So the question is Was the little widow blessed? If you even have to ask that question, you don't believe the word of God. Because God said, If you give, you will be blessed. And that is wherein lies the problem, is that we have allowed Our trust in God's word to be eroded away. We no longer believe that his standards for marriage are correct. Lifestyle. Everything else. We just kind of look the other way. We don't don't want to be a bigot. Sorry, excuse me. You know. People are confused today. Amen. I'm, I'm done. But I've watched through the years as people have trusted God and been blessed because they have. Yeah. I've watched people give everything they have because God told them to and watched them explode into prosperity. Don't any of you ever feel jealous of my son-in-law and Michael White, Jeff Nallin and Michael White? Don't you ever feel jealous of them because they're doing well in business? And Forgive me for calling their name. I don't want to put them on the spot. But if you knew those boys and how they were faithful to God, and how they went through things. My son-in-law, I didn't even know because he's my son-in-law and he was too proud to tell me. He had run up credit card bills struggling to make a living for his family, my daughter, and my grandchildren. And one Sunday morning laid every dime he had in his pocket right over here and said, to God, I'm giving it to you. It's not even enough to hit my bills. I'm trusting you to help me. And do you know, God gave me a word that morning. I didn't even know it was from my own son-in-law, from Mike. And I said, somewhere in this congregation, somebody's birthing a breakthrough in the next 30 days, and they launched their business, and it's exploded. Okay, but what you need to know is not that it exploded. It's that they did what the widow lady did. They gave in faith, faith faith-filled giving. Amen. And if either Mike or Jeff are here right now, I'm probably embarrassing the daylights out of them. And please forgive me. I don't mean to. I think of another one of my friends that used to live here in this city, attended this church. And his dad was a pastor. And he's got a brother that's a pastor that has become one of my spiritual sons. And I preach for him every year. Pastors in Roanoke, Virginia. And I was there this past May, early May. And then Phil, my buddy, picked me up at the airport, and Phil's a great guy. We have a lot of fun together, raised in a pastor's home, and we just, we just relate. And I'm a pastor, and he was raised in a pastor's home, and I a brother that's a pastor and all of that. But I asked him, how are you doing? And he's a businessman. He's a contractor. And he said, man, he said, Rich, uh, uh, my name's Richard, so a lot of my friends just call me Rich. Rich, he said, the business has exploded. I've already made more this year than I did all of last year combined. And I said, man, what happened? He laughed. He said, well, you know, he said, uh, we had a preacher come through here, and right in the middle of his sermon, the preacher stopped and said, I feel God speaking to me. And he said, He's telling me, do not receive an offering from this church. It had been through a rough place financially. He said, Instead, sow into this ministry. Because I don't know if you know the way churches work or not, but if a church goes through a rough place financially, the one who pays the price is the pastor, not the staff, it's the pastor. He's the first one that's gonna back up and, you know, push back and and you know if he has a good heart, uh, if he's not one of these LA preachers, that is to say, <laughs> Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Just want to make that clear. You know, you've wondered about that. Just wanted to let you know. Okay. And Phil said, the guy said, I feel the Lord talking to me to give everything I have in my pocket to this minister because he's going through a place of sacrifice. And the Lord spoke to Phil and said, you do it too. But the problem is, the pastor is his brother. Now, I don't know if you know how this works, but your brother is always your brother. And sometimes that's all he is, is your brother. And man of God stuff, I've seen uh, the other side, amen. And Phil had just been to the ATM and got $500. And he had two 20s. And God said, give everything you've got. He said, Lord, that's my brother and I just went to the ATM. And he gave the two 20s and kept the five hundred. And he left church and he was feeling so condemned and beat down. He, just, he was just really feeling bad. He got home, he told his wife, Kelly, she's a sweet lady and loves God, and said, this is what God told me and I didn't obey. What am I going to do? His wife said, honey, you need to call your pastor, your brother, called him by name, Carrie. You need to call and have him meet you at the church and give him what God told you to give him. So, Phil had to call and have his brother. Imagine the humiliation. <laughs> he called his brother and had him meet him at the church and said, I didn't obey God. This is what God told me to give. But you're my brother. I only gave $40. So. <laughs> Phil, up until then, it had been a dry year all of this year for Phil. He had bid on some contracts at Liberty University, which is nearby, and he specializes in a certain kind of construction. The contracts are always granted within a certain window, 60 days at most. It had gone on to over four months, and he had not heard. Two very lucrative contracts, In both of them he thought, I've lost them. It's past the window when I always hear from these people. He said, in spite of that, with no source of income visible, no contracts. I was taking money from savings. I went ahead and gave and obeyed God. He said, that was Sunday afternoon. He said, Rich, Monday morning, I got a call. They gave me both contracts. (laughs) Both. I'm concluding, but I want you to understand, this is the stuff you need to know about God. God's faithful. He keeps His Word. Faith field giving. What is faithful giving? How does it differ from faith field giving? Faithful giving is when you give faithfully. Okay? Most Christians are not even doing that. 2.4% is not being faithful. God said the 10%, the tithe is mine. No wonder we're struggling financially. No wonder believers are struggling. Faith field giving is not faithful giving. It's giving with faith that God is going to keep his promise because you have obeyed, and he will bless you. The little widow lady, the reason she gave was not to be faithful. To be faithful, all she had to do was give a tenth, but she gave it all. She was giving in a faith-filled manner. Phil's brother lived here in Houston. He now lives in Dallas, and he's an entrepreneur and he started business after business. Many of you see these little white courier trucks. I think they're white, running around, white or blue, running around town, courier delivery trucks. He started that business. He starts one business after another and sells them. He's made a ton of money. Done really well for himself. But when he was struggling, one day his wife sat down and went through the bills with a calculator and called him and said, Stan, said, we don't have enough money to pay tithes this month. I just did a run on our bills that are coming in and what we've made. We don't have enough money. Phil said, Let me see. Or Stan said, Let me see that. Sat down at the table, ran the column of figures of the bills, looked at what had come in, and he said, You're right. He said, Give me the checkbook. And his wife gave him the checkbook, and he wrote out a check for their tithing for twice the amount that he actually was going to pay. And he said, Let the devil try this again. So how do you turn your life around? How do you get God's attention? Okay, first of all, just start. Say it, start. Start. Shout it out loud, Start. start. Amen. The S simply means stop making excuses. We all have excuses. Can't afford it. Can't do this. Nobody can. That's the whole point, isn't it? The lady couldn't afford to give the two mites. She needed them. But she gave it anyway because she realized she really could not afford not to. Number two, the S stands for take inventory of your life. Are you as high as you want to go? You where you want to be? Because this is as high as you're going to get if you don't start trusting God. Left up to your resources, go home, look in the mirror, and ask yourself, do you like what you see, and do you like where you're at? Because left up to you, you're seeing what your skills and abilities are capable of bringing you without divine assistance. Now, some of us are living way beyond the level of our own ability. By that I mean, I'm not even going to pretend to tell you that I would be doing this well without God. There's no way I would had it not been for the Lord who was on my side. But God and his divine intervention in my life, amen. Are you happy with what the government plans for you? You won't, you won't rest? You, won't have, you got confidence all that's going to be in place when you retire? They can't even figure out Ebola. How are they going to figure out Social Security? Amen. I mean, does it make a lot of sense to you? I listened to the director of the CDC say on Friday these very words. If you're sitting beside some, uh, on a bus and someone sits down beside you that has Ebola, they can't give it to you. Then a few moments later, he said, however, if you're sitting beside someone that has it, you can get it from them. <laughs> can't get it. Can't give it. But I get it. Why would I want to get it? Are you happy? Take inventory of your life. Believers in America need to look around and ask, are we happy with where we are? And then the A in start means act in faith. Nike would say, just do it. Do it without fail and God won't fail you. Amen. But never do it perfunctorily. When you give, give in faith field actions to God. Like the little, little widow lady did. Don't just give it faithfully. Give it as faith field. And then the R in store would be for refocus. Refocus. Get your eyes off of this insanity that the world has got us focused on. And all of this craziness that they have made us believe in and all of this unbelief that we've allowed to come into our hearts because they don't want to honor God. It's time for God to work because they have made void his word. He honors his word above his name. Let them be the ones that go the wrong direction. I'm not. I need God too bad. I want to refocus on God. I need his help. Amen, somebody? Refocus. The Lord is your shepherd, not you. Not government. Hello, somebody. Not the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, the Tea Party, or any other party. Amen. It's the Lord that's your shepherd. Say it with me. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help, My help cometh from the Lord that made heaven and earth. Oh, where does our help come from? It comes from God. Amen. And the T, the final T in tru- and, and start, simply stands for trust. Amen. Trusting. That's what actually was going on with the little widow lady and her two mites. And so if somebody says, oh, show me how it ended and I'll believe, that's exactly why Jesus didn't put how it ended there. Because if you have to ask, it means you're not believing what he said anyway. Because he's already said he would give and open the windows of heaven and see that you're blessed and curse the devourer. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Honor His Word. Why should we honor His Word? Because He does.